Welcome to Sane Split, a podcast about staying sane when relationships end. I am AJ Jakubowska, family law lawyer and mediator. Just like you, I'm human. I understand what can happen when people separate. Lots of questions swirling around like confetti. Lots of uncertainty, perhaps anger, disappointment, or even pain. Sleepless nights, shallow breathing. Will I ever be happy again? Will the kids be okay? How much is all this going to cost? All of these questions are human and you're not alone. This podcast features my thoughts about separation and my interviews with other humans who help people when their relationships end. People who assist with legal issues, who mediate, who look after hearts and minds, and even after the pocketbook. People who might help you plan your future. What you will hear is not legal advice. These are dialogues primarily about the human aspect of separation. We will try to stay away from legal lingo. It's humans talking to humans. I hope that something you hear will help you navigate your way to a sane split. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. Today I am recording from beautiful Grand Manan Island in New Brunswick. If you have never been to this beautiful part of our country, a trip out here is truly worth it unsurpassed hiking, beachcombing, and forest bathing. Consider a visit. You won't be sorry. On to our subject for today. I just met with someone who separated recently, and that in and of itself is not unusual. After all, I'm a family law lawyer, so I meet many separated people. What was quite refreshing, though, was her planning ahead very early on. She knows she will be getting both child and spousal support payments from the other party, both in the short term, and we often call these interim or temporary payments, and in the long term. So she's thinking ahead about budgeting, about managing her funds, a very, very smart thing to do. She said to herself, I better find out how Canada Revenue Agency treats these support payments, what the tax implications are, if any, because they will hit my pocket and I need to know how they will do that, what impact they will have on my household, on my budgeting. So that conversation gave me the idea for this episode, tax issues around child and spousal support. Not a sexy topic by any stretch, but an important one. Today, I may very well put you to sleep. And someone who listened to my podcast recently told me I had put them to sleep. Or I may get your head spinning because we're going to talk about tax issues and numbers. Boring subjects. But this is a very important part of family law. And every payor and recipient of support should understand at least the basics. I'm going to make the following disclaimer, or more accurately, let me give you this caution at the very start. Family law lawyers are not accountants. Sometimes our egos tell us that we are, but really we're not. Accountants, on the other hand, are not family law lawyers. But it is your accountant who is the appropriate person to give you accounting advice, and particularly when it comes to taxes. 
we family law lawyers are expected to understand the basics of how child and spousal support are treated for tax purposes. But you should be turning to your accountant to get specific information on how the rules apply to you, or more accurately, how the rules impact your specific financial situation. The practical impact of taxes you would pay on different forms of income is unique to you. Your accountant will know your unique circumstances, how you earn your income, who is in your household, whether you are entitled to any tax credits or tax deductions, and so on. Get specific advice on your tax situation from your accountant. I will give you the basics on how support payments are treated for tax purposes, but it's your accountant who will apply these principles to your unique circumstances. So back to the woman I spoke to who gave me the idea for this episode. Why did I say she was smart to think ahead and consider the tax issues now, even before she started receiving the child and spousal support payments? Well, that's because the taxes she will pay will impact what she has left to budget with to pay the actual expenses in her household. Also, it's wise and strategic to think about taxes, the taxes you might have to pay in your negotiations of the amounts with the other party. So to use a very, very basic example, if you believe that you need $10 a month to meet your monthly budget, and you ask for that, the $10, without taking into account that you will have to pay $4 in tax, you will be shortchanging yourself because in effect, you will be left with only $6 to meet your budget. Now, I'm not suggesting here that what you need is the only factor that will determine the amount of support you receive. Need is only one factor in a whole host of factors to be considered on the issue of support. But it works in my particular example to illustrate the point about net dollars, those you will have left in your pocket after you pay tax. So summarizing, it's important to know what is involved and to understand the impact of tax on you and early on. Here are the basics. The child support you receive from the other party is tax neutral. This means that you do not have to pay tax on it and the other party does not get a tax deduction in connection with it. To put it as simply as I can, if you receive $5 in child support, you get to spend that $5. You don't need to worry about putting anything aside for tax. Family law professionals sometimes say that child support is paid with net dollars. This means that it's tax neutral. This is another way of referring to the tax effect of child support on the payor, the person who makes them. That's right, no tax deduction for them. They are paying the child support with dollars on which they already paid tax. Now, there was a time child support was taxable, but that was a long time ago when I was a very young lawyer, as I say, when Noah was launching his ark. 
I was going to say that there are some exceptions, as there are always in law, right? But I'm going to rephrase that. Let me further clarify what I have said about child support so far. If you are receiving table child support, the monthly recurring amount based on the other party's income and the number of children in your household who live primarily with you, the child support is not income in your hands and you do not have to pay tax on it. Or if you and the other party share the children's residence, your child or children live with each of you more or less equally, and you receive some support from the other party, what we call set-off support because their income is higher than yours, then that support you receive is not income in your hands. You do not have to pay tax on it. Now, I'm throwing some concepts in here. Table child support, set-off child support. I am assuming that you are already familiar with these concepts. If you are not, or if you're interested in a refresher, have a listen to the episode called Child Support in Ontario, The Basics. So using the example above, if you receive $5 under either of these two scenarios, no tax. So what are these exceptions I was talking about? More accurately, they are examples of expenses related to children that may have tax deductions attached to them. To put another way, these are payments you may be making for the benefit of your child or children that give you a tax break. And again, you should speak to your accountant about the specifics available to you, but here's a basic example. Child care expenses have a tax credit associated with them, and the deduction depends on the age of your child or children. So in October 2022, the amounts are $8,000 per child who is under seven, that's per year, and $5,000 per year for a child between the age of seven and 15. So importantly, if parents are trying to figure out how much each should contribute to daycare expenses... They need to remember that one of them may be taking a sizable tax deduction on the costs. So the other parent should be contributing only to the after-tax break portion of the expense. I know, I'm covering this very fast. But my point here is not to provide a full explanation, but rather to raise these issues with you so that you can consider them further with your lawyer or with your accountant if you think they might apply to you. The basic concept is that child support is not taxable as income in the hands of the recipient, the person receiving it. But when it comes to expenses for children, there may be tax breaks available to the person making them, like childcare, for example. And A, you should look into that for your own benefit, and B, these tax breaks need to be taken into account when figuring out the parents' respective contributions to these expenses. So the contributions are fair. Now, what about spousal support? Here, the tax treatment is somewhat different. 
When you receive periodic spousal support, for example, a payment each month under a written agreement, court order, or arbitration award, that payment is taxable to the recipient and tax deductible to the payor. So when you get it, CRA will treat it as income in your hands. Conversely, if you pay it, you will get a tax deduction. In those situations, the ones I just mentioned, a written agreement, a court order, or arbitration award, the recipient reports the spousal support payments on their income tax return as income, and the payor reports them as having been paid, so they get a tax deduction. To give the payor that deduction, CRA will look for what is called symmetry, meaning the respective tax returns have to match. CRA will only give the payor the deduction if the recipient also claims the payments are income. If the returns don't match, CRA will reject them and one or both of you will get a letter. But you might have heard that there are different ways of paying spousal support. Yes, that is correct. For example, support can be paid on a periodic basis, say monthly, which is the most common way and the one I've talked about so far. But the payor and the recipient can also agree to a lump sum payment, a single payment that addresses the spousal support obligations once and for all. One payment and it's done. It is very, very important to realize that such lump sum payments of spousal support are treated differently for tax purposes than are periodic payments. Lump sums are tax neutral to the payor and the recipient. So if you are the recipient and you get a lump sum payment of $5, you do not pay tax on that. It's yours to keep in that amount. Correspondingly, the payor does not get a tax break of any kind in connection with the lump sum spousal support payment. Let me clarify further the importance of understanding these differences between the tax treatment of periodic payments on the one hand and a lump sum payment on the other. Let's say someone figures out that a payor owes spousal support to the recipient for a period of 15 years and that the monthly amount for those 15 years would be $10. Let's keep the example simple. The payor would pay $10 each month and the recipient would receive $10 each month for a period of 15 years. I know I'm being a bit repetitive, but I want to make sure that the premise is clear. Sometimes people try to estimate the lump sum they would have to pay based on that 15-year obligation if they wanted to deal with it by way of a single payment. And what they do is calculate the number of months in that 15-year period and then multiply it by $10 a month. This is not the correct way of doing the calculation. Why? Because the periodic monthly payments in our example will be taxable to the recipient and tax deductible to the payor 
a lump sum payment is not. That monthly $10 in our example presumes that the recipient will pay tax on it. It is, as we say, grossed up for tax. And it presumes that the recipient will get a tax deduction. Monthly payments and lump sum payments are really apples and oranges. Both are fruit, but very different kind of fruit. If you do your calculation this way, you will be giving the recipient extra money, the gross up for tax. But they won't have to pay that tax. Why? Again, because this is not a periodic payment. It's a one-time payment. And I also want to touch on the mechanics of paying the tax generated by periodic spousal support payments. These are not automatically deducted anywhere. Like taxes, for example, are deducted at source if you're a T4 employee. The taxes you will owe on spousal support, on periodic spousal support, will be calculated when your income tax return is filed and you will then be expected to pay them. So it's wise to set money aside for those taxes each month. Otherwise, you will have to pay CRA a chunk of money in one go and you'll have to scramble to find that money. Now, let's talk about tools. What tools do we use to figure out these numbers? Child support, spousal support, periodic payments, and the related tax if relevant. I already mentioned an episode on which I did an overview of the basics of child support. Now, the issue of spousal support, for how long, something we call duration, and how much, and we call this quantum, these are all complex subjects. The duration and the quantum depend on a whole host of factors, including how long the parties were together, what roles they had in the relationship, but there are other factors. And if spousal support is a potential issue in your case, I strongly, strongly encourage you to get legal advice and even legal representation. It's not straightforward stuff. But on the quantum, the duration, the interplay between child support and spousal support and Section 7 expenses, and importantly, the related taxes and tax deductions, we do have some help. We have software called DivorceMate. It's proprietary software that most family law lawyers have that allows us to input various information about a family, incomes, ages, length of a relationship, amount of Section 7 expenses, and so on. And a sub-program in the software called SupportMate gives us some outputs based on those inputs. For example, it tells us how much tax a recipient of periodic spousal support will pay and what monthly spousal support will actually cost a payor once we take into account the tax deduction they're going to take. That same program can also help us figure out the right lump sum spousal support payment. Importantly, 
taking into account that, yes, you are correct, there would be no tax consequences to either side from such a one-time payment. And we routinely use those support-made calculations in court as well. Judges refer to them too. So we understand, so that we all understand the impact of various payments on both the payors and the recipient's budget. So that's it for today's overview of support and tax. When you separate, what comes out of your pocket is just as relevant as what is coming in. And you cannot budget properly without understanding both sides of the equation. Post-separation finances are an important topic to consider, a key topic, I would say. Budgeting properly, and that includes consideration of any taxes payable, is vital to having a sane split. Thank you for listening. I hope you will tune in again. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me through my website, separationinontario.com. Subscribing to the podcast through your favorite app will make future episodes available to you automatically. Signing off for now.